the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 50, The Quatermass Conclusion. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And today we've finally got to the fourth of the television Quatermass serials. Simply entitled Quatermass on release in 1979, re-edited into a film uh, which is now more commonly known as the Quatermass Conclusion, or just Quatermass 4 for some people. Um, I don't know anything about this, apart from the fact that it stars John Mills. I do, I've seen it a number of times. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say anything about the plot beforehand because I don't want to spoil it for you. I remember watching this at the time, I'd have been about 10, and I was given special dispensation to stay up late to watch it because I made a massive fuss about it. Mm. Because I'd I'd seen the Quatermass Experiment Hammer film um, and absolutely loved it. And in retrospect, it possibly is not the most appropriate thing for a 10-year-old kid to be watching, but I thoroughly enjoyed it then, thoroughly enjoyed it now. I don't think it's scarred me particularly. I've, I've deliberately <laughs> avoided anything about this, as I have done with the previous Quatermass serials. Largely because I want to be surprised. So we'll just play the disc, I think. But before we do, I'll get the tonic screwdriver out and we'll open up another gin. Today's gin, Pickering's gin. Uh, Pickering's at the Old Royal Dick, so it says on the bottle, and it's 57% proof. Now, what do we think? I think it's lovely. Mm. Um, it doesn't taste fifty-seven percent. No, it doesn't. That's the danger. Um, it's really quite smooth. Oh, it's the um, official gin of the Royal Edinburgh Military Tattoo. Mm. Nice. It's smooth. It doesn't have any particularly unusual aftertastes or florals mm. or woody things. It's just a nice, straightforward gin. Is very easy to drink. proof, it's a bit lethal to drink, I would have thought, because I could get through quite a bit of this and not really notice. It's very drinkable. There is, which I don't usually like, there is a very faint aniseedy taste to it. It's extremely faint, but it's there. However, I do like that, and I could happily sail to the bottom of the glass in rapid time. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm going to give it four out of five birds. I think this is a solid four out of five, so congratulations to drinking at the Royal Dick. As always, once... See how good I was? No mention of Prince Philip at the. You could have you could have had a go at Prince Philip with with pleasure. I love Phil. I'm a big royalist, but um, I mean, that would be a bit creepy because he looks like a corpse these days. He's, he's in ninety seven now. Have you seen photos of him? Yes, it's like an extra from The Walking Dead. He's ninety seven. I work with quite a number of ninety seven year olds that look better than that, and they're they're in hospital. Oh, you're a harsh baskin. Anyway, should we take our gins down to the Black Archive and pull something out? Of the Black Archive. What is your choice for today? Sure, I approve of that suggestion that I might be... (laughs) God, I've lost my words. Um, I'm not entirely sure I I approve of that suggestion that I was going to make indelicate comments. Since you twist everything innocent that I say into something innuendous... Yeah, that one's a bit obvious, though, <laughs> to be honest. It certainly wasn't meant to be. Right, I would like to put a Nigel Neal production in honour of the man himself. when we watching it, his final Quatermass. Uh, and I would like to put the 1960s play The Creature in. Tell me more. It was a BBC TV play from the early 60s 
about the abominable snowmen and an expedition to find them. Right. Um, very highly regarded at the time, so highly regarded that Hammer adapted it into a feature film. And unlike the Quatermass films that they done by that stage, they adapted it pretty much as transmitted on the, the BBC because it was a 90-minute play on the BBC. They could do it as a 90-minute film as opposed to the three hours of the Great Mass Experiment that they had to, mm. to edit down. As I understand it, the, the Hammer film is a f- reasonably faithful reconstruction of the, the TV series or the, the TV play. And we can give that a watch at some point. Mm, yes. um, and I've got plans of what we're going to put around that, so that that will be coming along later. But it would be nice to see the original as live production. Um, now, whether it's apocryphal or not, there's a lovely story that goes around that because the play overran a bit, the cleaner who was on duty at the BBC studios that night started cleaning up while they were still transmitting. And you could see in the background of the sort of... The, the denouement in the, in the Himalayas with all the snow around. Somebody sweeping up the snow. <laughs> it was apparently giving a bollocking for doing this. And when they uh, the repeat came along two days later, exactly the same thing happened. Now, whether that's apocryphal, whether that's a, just a, uh, an entertaining made-up BBC bar story, it's a lovely little story. I'd love that to be true. Yeah. Like the, um, the sideways trees in Robin Hood, the back-projected trees... All these live TV moments yeah. that you'd never get now. What I would like to say is a bit obvious, but I'm still fascinated by the original Quatermass experiment, the TV series. I mean, that would be lovely to see. They, well, which we're never going to see because it wasn't telerecorded. But episodes three to six of Well, the there are people that say that it might have been. I know we only have the first two episodes, but it was originally intended to. And for all that lots of people say that it wasn't the, the final four episodes weren't telerecorded there are a couple of people that say well actually yes it was hmm. now again whether that's apocryphal whether that's somebody's wishful thinking since this has apparently come from BBC engineers at the time with something that long ago you're never going to know the truth of it but that, and that's just dangling a microscopic carrot yeah. hope after the majesty of the fly immortalised on film, <laughs> um, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if somebody at the BBC had said, right, we're not wasting any more very expensive videotape on this. It's, uh, it's not But working. it wouldn't have been videotape, would it? it? This thing has no commercial value because the film print is ruined, so there's, there's very little point carrying on doing, spending money yeah. recording the, the last four. Either way, it's a shame. Uh, I don't think it exists. I think that the explanations as to why we don't have three, four, five, and six are, are pretty good, actually, and make a lot of sense. But I can wish. Yes. So that would be. Which is the whole point of the Black Archive. It is. Okay, so back up into the viewing area, and uh, without further ado, we shall play the tape. Episode one of Quasimass 4 from 1979 with. Was he Sir John Mills at this point? Or was he just John Mills? I, think cool. he's just, I don't think he'd got his knighthood by this. But anyway, so uh, the fourth and final of the TV Quatermasses from the original run, run VT. Okay, that was episode one of the Quatermass Conclusion. Um... It's a very different feel to the preceding three series. It is. It has a much more global feel to it. I'll kick off with uh, describing the plot. Mm. And it's uh, set in a, 
almost apocalyptic future. Certainly that's the way that it starts. Uh, We see Quatermass going through a very bombed out looking London Mm. with some quite Dalek invasion of Earth type signs all over the place. Looters will be shot, that kind of thing. And the taxi he's driving in won't drive him to the TV station he's due to go to. So he gets out and walks the the final few hundred yards and gets mugged and they rifle through his belongings and uh, it's three young fellas threatening to um, literally punch his teeth out. Mm. And he's rescued by um, a fellow in a a van who's driving past, played by Simon McCorkindale. Turns out to be another space scientist who's going to the same TV programme. So they team up together, drive off uh, and get to the TV station. It's a show they're going to do is a British commentary on a planned link-up between an Australian, uh, an American spacecraft and a Russian spacecraft. And Quatermass, when he's asked for his opinion, rants against it, says it's um, a pointless display and comes out with some fairly anti-American, anti-Russian sentiments. And it turns out that the only reason that he's gone along to uh, take part in this programme is to try and track down his granddaughter, who has run away from where they lived in Scotland to join a group of hippie types called the the Planet People. The link up in space is a disaster. Everybody there is killed and the uh, the two spaceships break up. Because of Quatermass's rant beforehand, he's thought to be possibly involved with a group of saboteurs. So rather than going home, he goes to stay with uh, with Cap, the Simon McCorkindale's character, at his house and uh, and observatory and get there and meet uh, Cap's wife and uh, and two young daughters and the, the the small group of astronomers and astrophysicists that that Cap works with at the same time meet various groups of planet people and, and find out that they're hoping to um to use old stone circles as a way of traveling to a new planet and towards the end of the episode we see a whole, a whole big group of these planet people congregating at a, the nearest stone circle to the, the observatory, something called Ringstone Round. Uh, we, there's a big police presence there as well, who are actually doing nothing but inflame the situation. Mm. The Caps and Quatermass get caught up in all this riot, get back in their van and dri- drive away, as does a police car that holds the the, the ringleader of the, the rioting planet people. That police van crashes. Quatermass and his group arrive just as the planet people are pulling this ringleader out of the uh, the van. And before there can be any confrontation, this massive noise fills the air and they see a giant column of light descending into Ringstone Round. And then the final shot of the um, the episode is looking at Ringstone Round absolutely covered in white dust. Mm. Quatermass's granddaughter, the one that he's been looking for, Hetty, it's heavily implied that she's yeah. in that particular she, she's, group. She's certainly in, in with a group of planet people. Mm. I've, I'm not certain that it's exactly that group. Right. It's not unenjoyable. At 50, nearly an hour, it's quite slow. I won't say it drags, but it's quite slow. Not so much padded as... Um, it's setting a lot of things up. Yeah. It could have been done in half the time. I think, certainly, if this was remade now... It would really lick along, and well, the whole lot is uh, edited down to the ninety-minute conclusion film, and that tells the story. I don't think it tells it as well as the four mm. episodes. 
He's all right as Quatermass. He's um, it, it's almost as with all of them to be honest. It's almost a different character each time. This is quite clearly towards the end of his life when he's a retired old man and yeah. quite jaded about the world in general. It's how, I mean, this follows on from um, it's only the, the direction that the character was going in anyway. I just the one bit I just couldn't get my head around it was why on earth did he get the loud hailer and start telling this group of people that what they believed in was didn't exist as if that was in some way going to help. That dates back to his sort of being in charge of the British Rocket Group and professorial 1950s Mr Chumley Warner. Mm. You chappies will do what I tell you because I'm in charge. <laughs> But yeah, he, he didn't help that that particular Not situation. Really, no. Um, while while no, the, the, the riots impending. No. Uh, why, why anyone would think that firing a gun at somebody is not going to inflame an angry mob? I really don't know. He's quite resilient, isn't he? Because the, the lead rioter is on top of one of the stones, gets a rubber bullet fired at him, and he's wearing nothing but... Leather of, chaps. And le- leather chaps. A and curtain. A, and a sort of cross piece across his chest made of studded leather. Yeah. So... When a rubber bullet hits that, it's going to hurt. You'd like to think um, so. And he, he flies backwards off that great well, standing stone, eight or lands on feet. his back, and then just gets, gets up and starts walking around. I mean, it's... Is it one with the planet? And he's eating his spinach. Mm. Yeah, let's crack on with episode two and see what happens. Okay, so a little bit more happened that, that episode, and... Uh, Finished off the last episode with a beam of light coming down to the Ringstone Round Circle and following that, the discovery that there is uh, there was ash all over the circle where people had been. Quatermass gets to the uh, stone circle with the caps and sees that not everybody has been turned to ash and there are a few translucent bodies with the, mm. d- the bones sticking out Around of them. Around the edge. And one girl who has been... Covered in odd burns, but has survived. Um, and she's blind and quite badly injured. So they aim to take her and look after her. But the other planet people turn up and demand that she be handed over. Quatermass and his group get her on t- into their van, drive away. And not before they're chased by the planet people who have... Uh, the leader of whom, Blokey with the leather and the cloak, mm. has picked up a submachine gun that was left by the police and fires after them with that. They get back to the house and observatory to find out that one of the younger astrophysicists has wandered off and joined the planet people. And they start to, particularly the Mrs. Cap, looks after this girl, Isabel, who spends an awful lot of time unconscious. And when she is conscious, she doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Mrs. Cap also becomes more religious um, and has a... Um, a, a Jewish ceremony at, the, at meal times, which is unusual for her. And throughout the episode, she becomes more sympathetic. To, yeah, sympathetic to the planet people. She starts we- wearing a more hippie style set of clothes. And you see her uh, further on in the episode walking along with one of the, the pendulums that they use. The local district commissioner, um, played by Margaret Tyzak, turns up to, uh, to pass a message on that the Americans are trying to get hold of Quatermass. And he and Cap talk to the Americans who say that this has happened, this kind of thing has happened. Initially, they, they know about one in Brazil involving several thousand people, but then reports come in that they've, they've been happening all over the world and print, within a couple of minutes simultaneously. They decide that they're going to use their uh, telescope to investigate what's going on, but there's a 
a remote relay point that's been vandalized and needs to be repaired. So Cap drives off to repair that. Quatermass with the with Isabel, the survivor from the um, from Ringstone Round, drive down to London with the uh, the district commissioner, leaving um, Mrs. Cap and her children and the two remaining astrophysicists at the observatory. While they're there, large swathes of planet people turn up and um, congregate on the the small stone stone circle that's by the observatory. And one of them is uh, seen to be the astrophysicist who disappeared. And one of her colleagues runs after her to try and uh, bring her back. And you just see the the planet people trampling all over the um, the vegetables. The caps are growing, and Mrs. Cap is there, terrified with her children. Meanwhile, Doctor Cap has got to the remote relay point and discovered that it's been uh, vandalized beyond repair. So he decides that he's going to turn around and um, get back home. Discovers that his van has had an oil leak, probably from one of the shots from mm-hmm. Ringstone Round. So while he's trying to repair that, he sees this massive column of light descending towards the observatory when he gets back he can't find anybody his house has been wrecked and the uh, the stone circle is completely covered in ash at the same time Quatermass reaches London with Annie the district commissioner and they end up embroiled in a, a gang fight that Annie is able to drive her way out of but not before Quatermass is pulled out of the car so at the end of the episode there's Dr. Cap on his own around the... And his incinerated house. And the, the stone circle that has all the, the ash and the charred remains of his dog. And Quatermass is on his own in London in the middle of a, a massive gang war. So all, all jolly stuff. Yeah. This is possibly, probably the least cheery of any of the Quatermass ones because it, it, it's all very post-apocalyptic. It is really, yeah. I enjoyed that, yeah. Mm. it was. It's good. It's crackling along. Mm. Uh, there is a lot happening the americans are as clueless about what's going on as as anybody else and it doesn't sound as though they've been in touch with the russians see when the story opened quatermass the later end of his life really couldn't seem to give a shit about anything apart from his granddaughter bit of scientific intrigue he's off yeah he's on a the rat of a drain point <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm enjoying this and i've not mentioned it up to now but the, this is the blu-ray version and it's a really nice print. Yeah, it's it's beautifully cleaned up, and not a huge number of who alumni are there. Not really. There's Bruce Purchase, who's the um, the captain in the Pirate Planet, mm-hmm. and Mrs. Cap is played by Barbara Kellerman, who was the White Witch in the BBC Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the mid eighties. I didn't recognise her at first. I know I'd seen her in something. I had to look her up, but the makeup from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is so harsh and severe. She's almost unrecognisable, but it's definitely her. That's just a little slice of my childhood. Sunday nights in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, but we'll crack on with episode three, because I'd really like to know what goes on now. Yep. Part three of the Christmas Conclusion. They've spent quite a bit of money on this. They have. Let's just recap the, the plot. Mm. So we ended the, final, the previous episode with Dr. Cap arriving back at his house and research observatory to find that everybody has been vaporised in a nearby stone circle. And he spends a lot of time wandering around his wrecked house, getting gradually unravelled. Quatermass is separated from Annie and is injured when he gets pulled out of the, the van. He finds a group of elderly survivors who are living in a scrapyard, living in the, the old cars. 
and gets associated with taken in by them. In amongst that group of survivors, he finds uh, an old chemist who used to work for a soap manufacturers, and they have long conversations about how they used to get the, the essential smells, and particularly musk, for the soaps. The military, under the direction of Annie, find him there, rescue him, take him back to the, um, the main government headquarters. In the meantime, Annie has got the girl Isabel to an intensive care unit where she can be looked after. But before she can be really thoroughly investigated, she starts to um, to chant. You hear the alien noise. She levitates up off the bed and explodes into a, um, a shower of the, the dust that we've seen at the various stone circles. So Annie and Quatermass get to the government headquarters who have now taken over the television studio that we were at in the, the first episode, who were showing a really odd dance programme. Yeah. That, was... yeah that Nigel Neal has a few things where he, he talks about sort of devolution of mm. television to... And morality yeah, and, and um, just general standards. I mean, yeah. most notably, Year of the Sex Olympics, mm. which is a brilliant play we will cover at some point. So he uses that to uh, he uses their equipment to contact um, his American counterpart Chuck, and they also manage to talk to one of the Russians, um, an old colleague of his who has clearly snapped mentally um, and is just gibbering at the screen. But one thing he does say, say is that they should try and communicate with this alien. Quatermass postulates that the reason they haven't been able to de- detect anything at the observatory is that this is something that is spread incredibly thin as a sphere around the Earth. And so that there's no solid point to detect. The Americans agree with the Russians that they should try and communicate and send up a space shuttle um, with the intention of uh, transmitting to whatever this alien intelligence is. And very close to them, they see one of the shining beams of light, but it's there for seconds. It's too quick for them to take a photo of. And then they get obliterated by getting in the way of another one. Mm. And, and there's some really nice special effects model work. There, I think there? there are, yeah. Um, uh, the the special effects of the beam is really nicely done. Yeah. To be fair, it's the only special effect in the whole thing. It so, is, but it's... But it, mm. it is really good. Following on from that, Quatermass becomes part of a group uh, led by the Prime Minister, played by... Packer. Packer. Kevin Stoney. And um, the most junior of the ministers there, who is arguing that Quatermass is out of touch, doesn't really understand what's going on, but he does. And he's obviously becoming sympathetic with the the ideals of the planet people. You see large numbers of the planet people walking through London and you see them walking past past the gangs. And some of them get shot by the gangs, but actually mostly it's the gang members joining in. Mm. And all these groups of people congregate at Arsenal Stadium. The junior minister, who is the one who is, had, has the ability to close Arsenal stadium, stadium, won't and just said it. it's a harmless tension release and mm. he's not going to do anything about it. Quatermass and Annie go to the stadium where um, this junior minister is and he sets the army on them. So they uh, end up having to, to drive off and they get corralled into the car park underneath the stadium where they'd, uh, the truck they're in crashes. Annie is killed and Quatermass runs off followed by some of the soldiers. And the, at the very end of the episode, you see the light effect coming through the um, the car park. Mm. So obviously the, the stadium is Remember being stadium hit by one of those light, light beams. The other thing Quatermass says is that he doesn't think that there's any point in com- trying to communicate with this because he says, 
a ripe crop yeah. can't communicate with its reaper. Which is a fantastic... It is a good line. I mean, it's horrible, but it's fantastic. Basically arguing that the human race is being harvested mm. and that they're, they're not seen as anything more than, than food. And that's where the episode ends. It's crackling on a pace, isn't it? It is. Um, There's some really nice said that that whole sort of little community town that they built out of the old cars mm. was beautifully done. Um, the scenes in London just look horrible and grim and post-apocalyptic and barricades mm. with, with gangs shooting backwards and forwards. It's it's obviously had a lot of money spent on it. A lot of money spent on it for a TV. But I mean, regardless of whether it was originally intended to be cut down as a film for distribution, it's a lot of money for basically a, a television movie series. But there, there, there was a massive amount of hype about it at the time. Mm. I mean, I, I can remember it. I'd have been, what, 10 years old. Yeah. The way it's going, I can't actually see part four of this ending particularly well. Everything about this from beginning to end has been dripping with misery. I'll tell you if you like. No, I do not want to. Although the... <laughs> The, the title Quatermass Conclusion, I'm guessing there's a, a sort of a, this is the end of the story. But no, it's just so, as with a lot of these post-apocalyptic things, it's not, as we keep saying post-apocalyptic, it's just basically society descending into... Oh, it's a dystopian society. Yeah, they're never terribly cheery. I mean, one, one is forced to be reminded of threats. And we've had the token Quatermass around the uh, political table where everybody had it. Everyone had their own ashtray that was completely full. Well, to be fair, if that's going on and you're a smoker, then... Different I, times, different times. Are you really worried about lung cancer in 20 years' time? <laughs> yeah. So I'm keen to crack on now. I want to see the, the end of this thing because it's... I know that it's not got the best reputation among the Quatermass serials. I mean, in fact... To be quite honest, until we started doing these things, I wasn't aware of it at all. Mm. Um, I've always thought it was the poorest of the four, but the poorest of a very good four. Yeah. Um, I think it doesn't help that it was made 20-odd years after the last serial. Now, this is 50, 57, 58, Quatermass and the Pit was made. 58, 59. It doesn't help that it's made in colour. It's a different Quatermass. The whole feel of the thing's completely different. So... I suspect the, the, the feel a, of each of the three individual uh, original ones was different. Yes, it was. Um, Quatermass and the Pit had a completely different feel to the Quatermass experiment. Mm. I just mean stylistically, that's all. Mm. They are completely different beasts. So there's a certain dish. I, I suspect it's the. It's been regarded by Quatermass diehard fans as the distant cousin. Because um, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. I yeah. think. It's a, it's actually a very good piece of television. It's just probably with the Quatermass title on it, it, it might have actually that might have gone against it. I suspect. Yes, because you could tell that story with a different lead character. Yeah, but then you could say that about any of the Quatermass serials. They could each have been standalone with a different yeah. lead character each time. The thing that we said about the original three Quatermass serials is that there's an escalating scale of threat mm. as you go along. So you've got your Quatermass experiment. It's three people initially, and they did. The monster kills a few people and then get, gets wiped out. But it's very localised. And then you've got Quatermass 2 where it's sort of patches of a lot of things happening. But actually, not a, once the satellite's taken out, not a massive amount of, yeah. of threat. And all, all the threat is is quite local. You get Quatermass in the pit and it's the whole of London and spreading further yeah. out. And then this, it's over the whole world. Yeah. So the, the level of threat and scale escalates each time. If there'd been a Quatermass 5, it probably presumably would have been... Quatermass and the Purple Death. <laughs> I think not. Anyway. Although he has been up in space in one of his rockets. so He, he has, and um, as you pointed out, the, the Dad's Army in Space thing... Continues. Continues. 
Although they are marginally younger. They're, they've blown away a few cobwebs this time. But let's crack on. I'll, I've never seen any of this, so uh, it's completely new to me, and I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Come on, VT, with part four. The very last part of the Quatermass saga. What was the plot, Simon? Right, well, at the end of episode three, we had Quatermass hiding in the basement of Wembley Stadium while there was one of the alien strikes going on. He survives the strike. Nobody else does. And walking back to get out out of the stadium, walks past the Land Rover that he and Annie were in and sees that she's been reduced to a pile of ash other than her glasses. So he talks to the um, the remaining members of the government, uh, which is now a very reduced cabinet, and they've been joined by the Russian rocketry expert that they were talking talking to previously, who had suggested trying to communicate with this as an intelligence. Joined Quatermass in thinking that this is actually a, a harvesting machine, and there isn't really any point in trying to communicate. He also says that Russia has decided on a military response, and they're going to try throwing rockets at it. Which they try to do, and they, apart from one of them hitting the moon, it, they don't have any effect. Yeah. Quatermass realises that if he's going to, to be able to do anything, then it's going to have to be with the help of old people who aren't going to have been affected by their um, control that's been put across. Because it's not just the planet people and the younger people now who are going to these harvesting gatherings. You see scenes of um, trails of people walking through towns, and it's all the ordinary people who are um, going along with them as well. So it's starting to affect everybody. But the ones who are least affected are the, are the elderly ones. So he collects a group of old scientists, um, including the chemist that he met in the, the town made out, made out of old cars. And they start, they decide that what they're going to do is try and sting the, um, the collecting device with a nuclear strike. But to be able to do that, they have to be certain of where the strike is going to be and exactly when, because they only have a 20-second window while the beam is uh, being beamed down. So what they decide to do is recreate the appearance of a million young people in terms of the sound that they make, the kind of heat signature that they would put out, the pheromones that they would, would produce. And so that um, the engineers work on producing the the sound that all the, all these people would make, and that the chemists led by the this Chisholm, his name was, wasn't yes, it? it was um, led by Mister Chisholm, work on producing the the pheromones. They managed to do all of that. They go back to the Caps Observatory um, because they know that there's a um, a certain amount of infrastructure there, but also there's a uh, a stone circle that they know is a harvesting point, and they get from the military a 35 megaton nuclear bomb, which they're going to use as the sting. But that has to be activated manually. Mm. So they they set all all of this up. Cap says that he's going to stay with Quatermass and detonate the bomb. So um, everybody else pulls out and Cap and Quatermass are left behind and they slowly ramp up all the the effects over several hours to make it appear so all these people are gradually arriving. And just as it's getting to its peak, a whole group of planet people turn up, including the um, gun-wielding one. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Including the gun-wielding one. Um, who shoots down Cap. And the other person in that group is Quatermass's granddaughter, Hetty. When he sees her, he sort of clutches his chest. He looks as though he's having some sort of cardiac problem and isn't able to get upstairs the, up the few steps. 
to uh, fire off the red button that will uh, detonate the, the nuclear strike. She recognises him. She comes and helps him. And between them, they fire off the, the red button. There's an, an enormous flash as the, um, as the bomb goes off. And then the final sequence is a, a voiceover from the Russian scientist saying that it worked and the, the harvesting thing never came back and the mental control stopped. And now things are getting back to yeah. normal. And that was the last of Quatermass. What did you think? It was fairly good. I, I liked it, yeah. It ramps up right the way through, mm, doesn't it? it does. The first episode was fairly slow. And actually, we we noticed that in mm. the, certainly, Quatermass Experiment, Quatermass 2. It started off fairly slow and subtle, but it put things in place mm. for later on in the story. And this this does exactly the same. It's a well-structured sl- script. It's slow, but that gives you time to develop characters. So people like Annie is a really well-rounded, yeah. sympathetic character. But Kratomas himself is more human in this one. Again, different times, different times. But he was in the 50s. He was quite... Um, certainly Stoic. The, yes. Even in the third one, when he was Andre Morel... Uh, he was. He had a stoicism about him that yeah. has been and, rubbed off in this. And Quatermass is much more active in this. Yes, he is. And again, it, different times. You don't have the. You, you needed something of a mm. faster pace than the um, the original Quatermass. Although Quatermass himself, this is when he's in his seventies, sixties. He's virtually indestructible. He gets beaten up within the first five minutes of episode one. He's underground when um, the alien strike happens at Wembley. He comes out torn to ribbons. He's been in a car crash or two. He's been thrown out of a moving Land Rover onto a pile of rocks. In a gang fight. And he sets off a nuclear bomb. Yes. So, so don't mess with Bernard. For all his uh, scientific lab-coated background in the first episodes, uh, he's actually hard as nails. We never actually see him in a lab coat. He rarely takes his overcoat off. He had a lab coat on in the first one, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, in the very first episode, I'm fairly sure he was in the lab with Judith and one of the others. I know, the I know they were in a tracking room. I can't remember him having a lab coat on. Mm, I thought he did. Yeah, we have to go back and watch it again. Mm, I don't mind doing that at all. So, yeah, um, Johnny, from picking through the, the scant bits of internet forums and what have you, I, I gather that this one's not very well regarded, but I really don't see why. It was quite a good piece of TV, that. Certainly, the, we, we've mentioned about special effects before. The, the beam effect is very good. But also, as the, the story progresses, the sky turns green, as uh, basically the planet gets ill. That's sort of the metaphor there. It's a really good, convincing effect. It is, and it doesn't slip at all. Not in the slightest. It's all done with filters. There's no electronic effects as such. It's just completely and utterly convincing. Yeah, it looks fantastic. I can understand why the the 50s ones have the better reputation. Not necessarily because they're better stories, although I do think that they're a bit faster paced. Mm. Although this is an extra hour on those. Yeah, it is. Because the, those were six half hours and these are four one hours. Although the running time is around the same as uh, Pitt. Mm. That was, this is three and a half hours. But in, in the 1950s, there was nothing else mm. like it. Um, and particularly Quatermass Experiment. That was it. That was unique for a number of reasons. Yeah. It was the, the first science fiction serial. It was one of the first serials that was actually mm. written for television. Um, it was very early days, so there could be a, a true television event in the kind of way that we just would never get now because yeah. there, there's such a vast array of, of channels. By the time it was coming in 1979, there was still the name Quatermass mm. that that carried a lot of weight because of the reputation that it had and and because of the, the Hammer films that came out. I remember my 
my grand absolutely raving about Quatermass. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I'd seen at the point that this came on was Quatermass Experiment, but I mean, she'd seen all the original serials and the, the Hammer films and was absolutely ecstatic about the fact that they were, they were bringing back another Quatermass. She was disappointed by it, but I suspect that was 20-odd years of memory cheating. And nostalgia, As yeah. to how good the originals were. And the, the originals are brilliant, don't get me wrong, but I think this is a very good piece of television It as well. is. And as I said earlier, if, if it didn't have the name Quatermass on it, it would probably have a better reputation as a piece of TV. As it stands, it actually goes against it. Unfairly, I think, that, that was a good piece of TV for 1979. Yes. Moving forward, we only have the... Mem- we are going to do the Quatermass memoirs for the sake of completeness. And, and a few other bits and pieces. Yeah. We're going to do the Scarlet Capsule. Mm, the the um, spoofs and, uh, but what and we're, homage. What we're aiming to do next is look at the three Hammer films. Mm. So the uh, Hammer adaptations of the original Quatermass three serials. Plus a little something else that I have planned. I always love that, it when you say that. That ties in. You didn't love it when I said that about the Corridor people. No, I did not. Let's try and erase that one. Ah, yes, so... There is more Quatermass to come. We're finished with the TV, but uh, we've not finished with Quatermass. So we will revisit this in a future podcast or three. And much more with Nigel Neal to come. And we've already done done one episode of Beasts. We have. But there's another five to go on that. And they're all good. There's Year of the Sex Olympics. There's Kinvig, which is quite really quite fun. Very, very different to all of his other stuff, but but well worth trying. There, there's quite a bit of um, Nigel Neal stuff yet to come. Yeah. But thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've had something to uh, take away from this. I, w- I personally would urge any Quatermass aficionados to go and get the Blu-ray of this. It was I, I enjoyed it as a piece of TV, and I've come to it cold. And it's beautifully done as the Blu-ray. The picture quality is fantastic. Very little in the way of special effects, but there's very little in the way of special effects in the, in the original. Yeah, the what there was was well-chosen and well-executed special effects at the right time. And that's exactly what this did. There's, actually, there's only really two effects, isn't there? Yeah, the beam and the there's, filter, that's it. Yeah, um, I mean, there, and there's some model work. Really, really nice set design. Mm. Yeah, they've spent a lot of money on it. Um, and a, a, a fantastic job of, of making a grim-looking London. Mm. The stuff that's out, outside away from London isn't, isn't too awful. Mm. But London is represented as an absolute hellhole. Yes. So, yeah, but do track it down. I would I would encourage it. And no really standout bad performances. Even Brian Croucher. He's not in it for very long. But yes, he he's better than his... Travis. Yeah, which was... Yeah, less said about that, the better. He's given us a, a sufficiently small part that even he can't ruin it. <laughs> and on that complimentary note, I shall bid you goodbye. Thank Thanks you so. very much for listening to us. We shall be back in a fortnight with the next edition. Whatever that turns out Whatever it turns out to be. And take care. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.